Welcome to episode 90 of the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum, and this week I sit down with Hillary Ferrer, the founder of Mama Bear Apologetics. She co-hosts a podcast and is the general editor of a book by the same name. If you follow Grace Enough on Instagram, you have likely heard me recommend Mama Bear Apologetics. I recommend that every Christian who finds themselves influencing children of all ages read it. It is one of those books I have dog-eared, I have highlighted, I have underlined with all kinds of notes written in the margin. Why? Well, to quote the Mama Bear website, we are in a culture war, and unfortunately, a lot of people are talking past each other. Neither side will recognize the good that their opponent is offering. Today, Hillary and I discuss some myths that Christians are tempted to believe when it comes to children and their faith. We also talk about getting started with teaching our kids false messages, the chew and spit method, one of my personal favorites, linguistic theft, and the roar method that has been so helpful in my journey of separating truth from the subtle lies that bombard us daily. Before we begin, I would like to invite you to follow Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber on Instagram. As I said, it is there where I recommend books and other resources, I ask questions, I reflect on past episodes, and it's where I love to interact with you the most. Now, let's jump into episode 90 with Hillary Ferrer, Empowering Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. Good morning, Hillary. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So we'll get started with having you um, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do as well. Okay, my name is Hillary Ferrer, and I run the ministry called Mama Bear Apologetics. And we started about five years ago where we decided that uh, I think just moms read apologetics differently than men. And, uh, you know, because first of all, I think that women are a lot more relational. Whenever Whatever information they're taking in, they want to know how they can use it in the real world yep. and how it impacts their their relationships. Um but uh, then secondly, it's like guys kind of do it like just in a box. We, we want to have it all put together. Um, but then, so, sorry, secondly is that moms are just super busy. And so I knew I wanted to have a lot of audio resources to where they didn't feel like they just had to read endless blogs or recommend, recommendations of endless books. That we could have something where it was basically two gals just discussing topics. And, you know, you feel like you have two nerdy friends in your room over coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's what we've been doing, although we do now have a book out, and uh, right. it's Mama Bear Apologetics, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. Yeah, and don't you all, are you all in the process of writing a second book? Did I read that somewhere? Yes, yes. So we have we have a, uh, we technically a three-book contract uh, right now. I call it a two-and-a-half-book contract. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> the, 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 we have a study guide that's going to be coming out in February. Oh, nice. Everybody wanted a study guide, and the, I kept asking the publisher, I think they'd really like a study guide. That's great. Um, I would. So I just finished that. And yeah, so working on book two right now. And whew, so yeah, it's, it's been hectic around our house. <laughs> That's right. Busy, busy times. Well, let's, apologetics is a big word. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, just like anything, we can overcomplicate it. And so let's get started because I don't want to assume that my listeners all even know why, what that means and why that's important. So 
Tell everybody what that means and why you feel like it's so important for the moms in our lives to become the apologist to their children. So I would say that everybody's already an apologist. Um, they just don't know it. So if I were to ask you, do you have a favorite you know, website that you get recipes? Is there different singer or an actor that you think is the best a movie, you know, which one of Sandra Bullock's movies or the, the absolute best movie, you could probably list that off and you could probably give me reasons why you think that's the case, right? Mm -hmm. That's basically what it means to be an apologist is to basically know something, either to know something and be able to defend it. And, you know, sometimes it's a preferential thing, like, you know, in the case of the recipes and stuff. But um, the word apologist actually comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a defense. And this is the word that they used for lawyers back mm. in like first, second and third centuries that um, they were the apologists. They would come and they would give reasons or as Jay Warner Wallace likes to say, they make a case for something. And so I think we can all make a case for different things in our lives. So if we can do it for those, how much more important? Is it for us to make a case for the truth of the Christian faith to our children? Because uh, I, I, I was writing, I was writing yesterday, and really realized that um, we don't have the problem that kids are being called nerds or prudes or backwards anymore. They are being called evil abusers um, and monsters for their Christian faith. If you think about the kind of names mm. you got called for being a Christian and the names they're being, being called for being a Christian, they are radically different. There's, there's a very big difference between being, uh, you know, kind of, uh, old school and, you know, nerdy, yes. whatever, and being morally evil. Mm. And that is what they are dealing with right now. So the, there has never been a more important time that our kids need to know how to stand up for their faith because there is so much more at stake than anything we had to deal with. Wow. It is so true. I feel like I'm still just at the beginning of that journey, even though I have, you know, a 10, um, eight, my, my daughter just turned eight on Friday. So I'm like, wait, Yay. she's not seven anymore. Um, eight and four year old. I mean, I do feel like at this point, they have a little bit of a sheltered life, which can be good and bad. Mm -hmm. But um, it is true. And I do have friends who have experienced some things like that. And so, you know, being a mother of three, I do often hear things like, I don't want my kids to be introduced to that yet. <laughs> um, I want to protect them as long as possible. And I do agree that there's a time and a place to introduce certain concepts. Mm -hmm. But the reality is culture does not care. They don't nope. care. And we get this cultural, um, for lack of better words, just bombardment just by sitting in the car and riding down the road. Yep. And so what are some of the myths that we as followers of Jesus often fall under when it comes to our faith and what we believe? Yeah. Uh, or when it comes to faith or when it comes to our kids, would you say? Yes. Well, when it comes to our kids, our kids' faith is what I should <laughs> say. <laughs> Yeah, I would say some of the myths are that you can protect them, <laughs> that you can shelter them. That's right. We, we did a little crowdsourcing on the Mama Bear Facebook the other day where we just asked and we specifically said no derogatory comments, no discussion mm -hmm. on that. We're just asking for facts. What is something that you have seen in your kids' cartoons um, that uh, was it? Are, are there any LGBT characters that you've noticed in your kids' cartoons? Literally within 15 minutes, we had over 100 comments. Uh, by the next day, we had like 350 comments. Mm. 
So it's this idea that you can shelter your kids from things, and that's just not the case anymore. In fact, well, I won't get into what this document is. I'm just going to say that there's a document out there, and I'll share I'll share it with you, and I don't want to derail the conversation right now, but where it's talking about getting a, an agenda through, and this was written back probably, I think, in 1987. Oh, wow. And the things that they're saying are you have to uh, say it loudly. You have to put it in front of people as much as possible. You have to put it in, in front of kids as much as possible. And it's not something that's being done, you know, with without thought. There is a lot of purposeful thought being put uh, being put into what is being presented in kids' cartoons. That it's really normalizing them to a whole lot of things that you may not like. And and sure, you can just tell your kids, no, we're 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 only watching Adventures and Odyssey, something <laughs> like that. I don't know if I'm if anyone else knows what that is. That was like the big '90s thing oh, back when I was younger. My kids listen to it every night, so yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, you can shelter them only so much, but I think we should look at the way the immune system works in general, that an immune mm. system works by being exposed to different bacteria and different toxins in really small amounts. Because when you're exposed in small amounts, then your body begins to say, okay, that's something I need to prepare for. If we basically protect them from everything, they never even know that they need to prepare for something. So and so it just takes them out when they finally are um when they finally are introduced to it. And I, I, it basically is a, it's a big backfire, it does the exact opposite of what we're intending to do. Yeah, well, and something else, I mean, even just beyond the LGB, I don't even know all the letters. Um, <laughs> there's so many little just messages out there, right? I mean, so many when it comes to just the way that we view sex, when it comes to the way that we view religion, when it comes to the way that we believe what we put in our mind, like, oh, that doesn't have that big of an impact on us. Mm -hmm. There are just so many of these little messages. And so definitely, um, you know, that we can't protect them. I know one of the other big ones that you have shared is just like, oh, you know, if we take them to Sunday school, yeah, everything's gonna turn out just fine. And so chat a little bit about that myth, because that's pretty popular in my in my world. The the kind of discipleship that we needed back when the culture was reinforcing Christian beliefs, which I would say that, you know, they weren't, it, they were, it was still reinforced to an extent when I was a kid, it was very yeah. much reinforced when our, our parents were kids. Nowadays, I don't think we understand how not reinforced it is that it's being actively torn down. And so just presenting kids with, this is what we believe. I mean, uh, with the postmodern mindset, we talk about this in the postmodernism chapter, yeah. they're silently tacking on this for you to this. This is what we believe. Okay, well, that's what you believe. That's, or if you want to go into the new lingo, that's your truth. That doesn't necessarily have to be my truth. So they could have a kid that even sits there and nods and agrees and yeah, right on for mm. the whole time, their, their whole childhood. And then go to college and suddenly decide, oh, that's not my truth. And they don't understand why their parents don't understand this and the parents don't understand how in the world did this happen? Because it's like, we got to look at how worldviews not only tell us what to think, but how to think about things. And if mm -hmm. we are only thinking of information as subjective, where it can be true for you and not true for me, then you'll have no idea what they actually believe. We need to be giving reasons for mm -hmm. why we believe something. Uh, I always said, because I was introduced to apologetics when I was young, I was probably like 12. And I remember just my my little hands scribbling as fast as I could as the as our pastor was giving this sermon on the evidences for the resurrection. And that really formed the foundation of my faith mm. for the rest of my life because I always felt 
that if I walked away from Christianity, I would have to check my brain at the door. Mm. And that's the exact thing that people think you have to do to get into Christianity. <laughs> wow. What d- Delve into that a little bit. Like, what do you mean when you say that's what people think mm-hmm. that you have to do to get into Christianity? That is just get rid of your brain. Stop thinking. Uh, we, we have a concept that we talk about in the book, chapter four, called linguistic theft. And we don't go into this word in that chapter, but I think we go into it in the naturaliz- naturalism chapter. But it's this concept of what is faith? Mm-hmm. that we have this this really stupid definition of faith circulating out there that faith is, uh, I'm, there's a Roy Rogers quote, I think it's like, faith is ble- believing in what you know ain't so. And th- you'll see a lot of the, in chapter seven in the skepticism chapter, you'll see all these quotes from different atheists about how faith is basically the great question stopper. Mm. And we have this idea that um, faith is this feeling that we conjure up when we don't know something, but I'm just going to believe it anyway, despite the evidence. Mm. That is a horrible definition of faith. The better definition of faith, I think, is if we go back to Scripture, to Hebrews 11.1, 1, where it says, faith is being sure of what you hope for and what certain of what you do not see. So anything that makes you more sure and more certain increases your faith. It's the idea of responding to available evidence. So mm. An example I like to think of is when people, what are some other things people say they have faith in? Maybe they um, have faith in their spouse. Well, you didn't just meet them yesterday. I'm sure an arranged marriage, they don't say, oh, I've got faith in them (laughs) if they met them yesterday. You need evidence to have faith in something. Or no one would recommend an accountant or babysitter whom they've never used and say, oh, I've got total faith in them. Faith comes from mm. what you know. It doesn't, it's not there to overcome what you don't know. And I think that that right there, um, there's a lot of people who put knowledge and faith as if they're opposing, like, well, if I knew everything, then I wouldn't need faith. No, the more you do, the more you know, the more faith you can have. That's right. And, and I think that's part of when you think about faith, as you see God do what he says he's going to do, your faith increases. That's yes. the difference. It's not, I'm just blindly putting my faith in something that I've never put my feet on. Yes. Even though we haven't actually put our feet on the person of Jesus, we do, we've seen his faithfulness. We've yeah. seen him do what he says he's going to do. And I think this is where kids are sometimes at a disadvantage because I remember excuse me, going through this myself when I was younger, especially as a teenager, uh, I was a camp counselor and I was supposed to be telling these kids, God will never let you down. You know, he will always come through for you. And, you know, as a teenager, you've got ideas of what that means for someone to always come through for you and never let you down. That's right. That aren't necessarily true because of course you think your parents are against you all the time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, uh, I, re- I remember thinking, I don't feel like God has come through for me. I feel mm-hmm. like he's let me down over and over again. It's only now that I'm older and looking back and I'm saying, oh, that's what he was doing. Oh, that's why that happened. And I can see ways that the Lord used things that were painful at the mm-hmm. time and how he used that to transform me. And so that knowledge right there allows me to have greater faith. Now, our kids a lot of times don't have that. They have that real short-sighted immediate gratification kind of kind of mindset. And so this is where I think um, just classical apologetics, where you're looking at the evidences for things like, like I said, the most impactful sermon I ever had from my pastor 
was on evidences for the resurrection. He went through every single alternate theory Mm. for the resurrection and showed how that took basically more faith than just believing that Christ rose. It's like, it doesn't make sense. He showed how none of them made sense. And I remember at that point thinking, he's right. There's no way these reports would have come out. There's no way these, you know, these ancient documents would have said this if this hadn't actually happened. And even ones that aren't Christian documents, why would they even mentioned a scandal or for a weird, bizarre thing that these Christians seem to think that they're going to live forever. You know, like this idea of resurrection. Why did they have these beliefs? And uh, if that didn't actually happen, stuff like that, where it's like, it it can sound all fine and dandy into your head until you dive into the evidence. And then that was able to carry me through from when I didn't have the personal experience of God coming through and me seeing, oh, that's what he was doing. Before I had that personal experience, I at least had that objective evidence. Mm. Yeah, just the way that we slowly build up how we defend something is important. Well, and that's something else. I think as parents, we can so often believe the lie that we have to have all the answers and we got to be so super smart in order Mm -hmm. to communicate things like apologetics or defending the truth. And so you guys talk a little bit about this chew and spit method. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So get into some of the practical stuff about, you know, let's say me, a parent, I just want to get started and I'm not sure where to get started. Um, How do you all encourage people to go about doing that? First off, I would say two of the things that my dad impressed upon me uh, when I was young is not that you had to know all the answers. It's that you needed to know where to find the answers. Mm. So I thought that was always super empowering. He's like, you don't have to have it all in your head as long as you know where to go to look for it then, then you'll be okay. And I was like, Oh yeah, he's kind of right about that. And so, and then I came when I was a teacher, I realized that there's even a step beyond that. You don't need to have all the answers, but you need to know how to ask the right questions. Mm. Um, I'm kind of famous in my family for being able to find anything on Google. (laughs) Um, My husband is too. (laughs) Yeah. Especially medical stuff when it's like medical stuff, something is happening with somebody. And so I'll like, you know, I'm sure doctors love people like me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I was able to uh, to uh, not diagnose, but recommend questions for my sister's mother-in-law to ask to the doctor that led them to figuring out this um, this real basic illness that she had that she'd had for months that nobody could figure out. There is an art to asking questions. And, and this is where when I was a teacher, I found that if I asked my students, does anyone have any questions and nobody did, the, it was not because everybody understood everything perfectly. It's because you have to understand things enough to even know what you don't know. Hmm. And so that that kind of goes into the chew and spit because I, I think that we had this idea that either one, we should only look at Christian resources or two, um, it's well, it's this all safe, dangerous, all safe or all dangerous mentality. Everything's all safe or it's all dangerous. I'm only and as long as I label something correctly, then I can turn my brain off and go on autopilot. And the chew and spit method says that's basically not a very wise way mm-hmm. to interact with the world and to interact with media and to interact with books that's and right. even pastors, because we're seeing a lot of weird stuff coming out of pastors these so days, true. especially like within the progressive Christian church, or there is some uh, some evangelical leaders, shall we say, that are all, all of a sudden buying into things that I don't think are biblical. And yet 
a lot of their other theology is still really solid. So mm. what do we do there? We chew and spit. And chewing and spitting means that there is no Christian so solid that you will never get a nugget of heresy from them, mm-hmm. or at least something that's a that's a subtle lie. And there's no atheist so bad that you won't get a piece of truth from them. Mm, I love that. And yeah, I think it frees us up to really... Um, dive into so many different other sources than what we would normally do. It requires that we have a really firm understanding of scripture because we're always comparing things back to scripture. Does this match with kind of the, the main themes in scripture in terms of, you know, how do they define justice? How do they define right and wrong? How do they define uh, what it means to love all those things? And so, you know, there's books where, I can disagree with most of what they say, but there are a couple things that I'll take away with and think, yeah, they're right about that. <clears throat> and then also I, I can I can look at people who are I have been heroes of mine in the past and they'll say something I think, mm, I don't think that's right. Yeah. I don't think that's quite right. And this is where cancel culture comes in. That people again, people want everybody to be all safe or all dangerous. And if you're not all safe, you gone, you canceled. And it doesn't allow humans to learn and to grow and to sometimes be wrong on things. Because I have no doubt that I'm going to be wrong on something That's at some point. I'm going to do a right. pod- yeah. I'm going to do a podcast and look back and think, "Ooh, I shouldn't have said that that way." I know and I I'm- already have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I and, and of course, as parents, oh my gosh, you think of some of the things that you taught your kids when they were younger, and you're like, "Whoa, that wasn't true." Um- <laughs> the amazing thing about kids, though, is if you just say you're sorry. Um, they're pretty quick to forgive, but man, in our culture today, I mean, we've, we've taken away the room for forgiveness and redemption. It's really, it's really eye opening when you start thinking about, man, don't make a mistake. Cause if you do, you don't ever have a chance. You are a hero or a villain and we will never put you anything in between. And you got to play that part all the way. And if you do anything that is outside what I think is good, you are a villain. I, I literally had someone send me an email the other day saying that because it's like, we haven't even talked about masks. We haven't talked, you know, a ton about, you know, COVID where, you know, we mostly do apologetics. We've done a little couple things when everybody was in the thick of it, kind of like, you know, be at peace, you know, sort of stuff. <laughs> calm, we down. Just, calm down. We just started a Teespring store and they offer, we can put whatever logos on, on masks. So we're like, oh, okay, you're going to wear a mask. You might as well, might as well wear a mask that has a mama bear logo on it. Uh, we got an email that someone was so angry <clears throat> that we even offered masks that she said, I can no longer recommend your book so because you sell masks. And th- I-, I just kind of wanted to be like, if you love the book so much, I'd like to encourage you. I didn't I haven't answered her yet, but I kind of wanted to say, maybe go back to the chew and spit area that, you know, okay, if you don't agree with, um, and I, there's nothing to agree or disagree with me on. We're just selling them. Um, but, uh, even if you find something that you don't agree, does that cancel out everything else that's good that they've done? And if not, can you say, well, I think they're wrong on that point and then move on. Well, and that's a great example. When I think about conversations that we have with our kids around the dinner table at night, because I have one child who is super quick to just be like, that's completely wrong. I mean, like his (laughs) mentality is so... And part of that is age, but part of it is, I mean, I can tell you from the time the child could talk, it's just very black and white. And we've worked with him a lot to say, why do you feel that way? Let's Mm. talk about that. There can always be aspects, like you were saying, of right and wrong in a choice. And so you have to be able to identify that and then decide what's truth. 
And I mean, that's kind of part of that whole chew and spit thing, right? Like, what are some of those questions you feel like you find yourself asking when it comes to really hard topics? Yeah. And I I just like to say this because this is one of those things that um, I just love. I think that sometimes the traits that can be challenging in your kids are actually unredeemed strengths. Mm. Because I hear what you say with your child that he's like, this is right and this is wrong. What you have is a warrior for truth right there. It's true. He he does not know how to wield that yet. Mm -hmm. But um, I I actually had a kid in my class years ago. I had a sub for a middle school because the teacher just up and left at the middle of the year. And so I just had to go help out with that. And I had a kid who was... um, It wasn't a Christian school. And so, but he would loudly proclaim his Christian beliefs and, and like, you know, even he, he didn't know I was a Christian and I was the evil science teacher, of course, you know, there to corrupt everybody. Um, but at one point I show, I think I showed a video that was one of the illustrious media ones that are, that kind of has an intelligent design bent in the sense of we're showing how things were designed. And I was like, what, what did we learn about this? And he raises his hand and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's he going to say? He goes, I learned that I was right. (laughs) And I, um, took him out at at some point, you know, discreetly to have a little, let's, let's uh, have a little powwow here, buddy. And basically I praised him for all the things Mm. I was about to rip him a new one for. Mm. (laughs) I said, let me tell you the things that I see in you. I see you have conviction. I see that you love truth. I see that you love scripture and you love God. And I just raised, I mean, lathered it on to him. I said, however, I'm going to affirm all these things, but we need to talk about the way you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I proceeded to completely rip him a new one for the way that he yeah. was behaving in class. And I said, I, okay, I'm going to give you a thought here. Would you rather be heard or would you rather be understood and persuasive Mm. and made him think about that? Do you just want to be heard? Because if you just loudly say something, you'll be heard by a lot of people. They may not understand you and they may not be persuaded by anything you say. Mm. Which one is it? Which one is your goal? Okay, let's talk about how to be understood and persuasive because that's different from being heard. But again, it's identifying that, Mm. that beautiful, I see stuff like that. Even like there was a, couple that I met and their daughter was doing something and they were like, Oh, she's so bossy. I was like, well, you got a little administrator on your hands that you should, you should work that. And she's going to be a great little administrator, you know? To, to yes. To... Cause I got one of those too, girl. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, I, I, I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? The things that probably drive us nuts about kids are the things that the Lord's going to use. And I know I was that way. In mm-hmm. fact, I was asked at one point, if you could go back to your childhood self, what would you say? And you know, all, all my family, my grandmother used to say that Hillary, she really marches to the beat of her own drum. Um, I would go back and tell myself all the things that make you feel weird are going to be what make you successful later. Wow. See, I needed, I needed this just for that word right there, because <laughs> it's definitely true when you're in the thick of it. And sometimes, you know, in your mind, what is true, the way that God has gifted your kids, it's really easy to lose perspective of it when you and you know, it's, it's, they're just chipping. It's, it feels like a chipping away of you, but mm-hmm. sometimes those are the things that actually need to be chipped away in me. Um, so as certainly <laughs> it's convicting and a good perspective. So thank you for that. Um, and then, you know, things like asking those questions 
how do you feel? Is that always just been your personality? Because even the way <laughs> you just worded that about your student, you know, that I ask him, do you want to be heard? Or do you want to be, you know, persuasive? Like, mm-hmm. How do you even get to that place of, I'm going to learn to ask good questions? I think that was, you know, I think that was probably innate because uh, my mm. parents, when after I got married, they sent me like all this old paraphernalia, like uh, my <laughs> kindergarten report cards. <laughs> Literally, the kindergarten the kindergarten report card in the comment section says, asks lots of questions. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> when my parents met one of my favorite grad school professors, uh, they, they just happened to be at a function together. And they're like, hey, yeah, oh, you're in you know class with my daughter. Um, the first thing he said, oh, you're Hillary's parents. Man, she asks really good questions. Uh, so I, I think that's just kind of how the Lord has made mm-hmm. me. And I think that's actually what helps me be able to explain things um, well, is that I, I have so many questions about something that I can kind of anticipate what questions mm-hmm. might be. And I try to cover that whenever... As I'm writing, I'm trying to keep all those questions in mind. So, yeah, I think that's that would be one of those things that, um, you know, is a it, it's definitely something the Lord has used to make me who I am and to make me successful. But I can guarantee there were a lot of teachers <laughs> and probably my parents um, that were not a big fan of that trait in me <laughs> at some point. And so I think this is the difference between um, trying to correct your child to get rid of a behavior mm. versus uh, discipling them to take a behavior that God has gifted them with and then direct it in a, uh, godly way. Mm. And so, um, I think that's kind of sometimes can be the mistake. And I actually got to see kind of my parents. I had one parent trying to take parts of my personality out. And I had another parent that was learning how to steer that part of my personality Wow, and, uh, have great relationships with both my parents, but that was kind of where the, the friction was when we were younger. Yeah. Wow. Again, you're you're just preaching to me, so that's great. I need it. <laughs> well, is you talked a little bit about linguistic theft earlier, and that is a chapter in Mama Bear Apologetics that was just a favorite for me because I think we see we can actually I mean, if you can't see it and hear it with your own ears right now, um, I have some other questions for you. <laughs> Um, because words are just being hijacked all over the mm-hmm. place. And so speak into that a little bit. What do you mean? I mean, it's pretty straightforward by linguistic theft. And then maybe give us a couple of really popular examples right now. Yeah. So linguistic theft is different than evolution of language. So fun fact, I discovered I had one of my old, uh, my dad's old dictionaries out in our little library that we have out here. And I was like, ooh, I wonder what the... The copyright is on this and it was like 1960 so wow. I decided to look up some of the words <laughs> that were in my linguistic theft chapter and the first one that I thought of was bigot so I looked into bigot and it said like I it, it wasn't the first one it was like third down but it was like a man with a mustache <laughs> yes. like, oh, I'm gonna have fun with this one every time someone has a mustache you bigot <laughs> um, but uh so that would be kind of an example of um, evolution of language where you know just it changes over time Linguistic theft is when someone is purposely taking a word or a concept that they know that everybody already agrees with, and then they redefine it so that it means uh, basically according to their agenda. Of um, And this is what we're seeing happen with Christian virtues. And this is where things are so confusing for our kids right now. Um, so, so one of the concepts in there 
that you mentioned that uh, that you have a, a, a family member who's even said this word's been stolen and they haven't even read the book is the concept of love. Yeah. What does it mean to love? And so like um, within, I'll just to say, even within the Christian church, especially progressive Christian church, love has been turned into anything that makes someone uncomfortable is unloving. Anything that uh, convicts them of anything in their life is unloving. Mm -hmm. And if you define unloving like that, if your kids are being told uh, within the LGBT community, we absolutely need to to love people. But when love has been defined as um, affirming an LGBT lifestyle and or affirming that that is a moral, not only moral, but it's good. Mm-hmm. When that's what loving means and your kids are asked, why aren't you being loving? Why, you know, when you say that this, the the Bible speaks against that, that is harmful to me. It causes trauma. You need to love because Jesus said love. They they don't have the wherewithal to be like, well, they're, they're right. Jesus said love, but this isn't how love def- is defined. They're going to think, no, Jesus said love. I guess that's what loving is. And so that's what I'm going to do. And we're seeing that across the board with our kids. We're also seeing this with the concept of justice. Everyone already believes in justice. So if there is any agenda you want to get across, you make it a justice issue. We need reproductive justice. Uh, That would be for abortion, um, gender justice, marriage equality, you know, equality and justice. Mm -hmm. All these things are phrased in terms of justice and equality. And in fact, if you go back to a book called Saul Alinsky, Rules for Radicals, he literally dedicates the beginning of his book, like on the dedications page to Lucifer, the original radical. And he says, whatever demands you have, you must phrase them in terms like equality and justice and whatever you do, clothe it in moral language because people have this innate sense of morality. We know Mm -hmm. from Romans that the law is written on our hearts. So they take that law written on our hearts and then they redefine what their words mean to where you can be following that law written on your heart, but it's taking you in a completely different direction. Wow. It's so true. I mean, it's so, it's so obvious. You can look around and see it happening. But as I was talking to my sister this morning, I find myself so torn in how to respond. Mm-hmm. Because it's so easy to feel like, oh, maybe I'm not being loving. And so when you come up, and I'm, I'm sure you all have heard that time and time again. I mean, what do you look at somebody and say? Like, no, go, I mean, I know go back to scripture, but even in the progressive church, they're taking scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I found helpful because um, I, uh, we'll just say Amazon reviews. If you find some of the one-star Amazon reviews, if people have specific beefs with different things. A lot of times I I just ask, Oh, what it is, what is it that you saw was, was mean? What what did you see that was, um, you know, unloving or I'll get, uh, email messages. Well, people say your ministry is just blah, blah, blah. Mm. And they say all this stuff. So I find that first I say, wow, thank you for pointing that out. And I, I act and not act, but I, I, want to give them an opportunity to explain themselves. And I find a lot of times if we just go into answer mode, that's not good. I say, um, that is not the impression we want to give. Could you please let me know what we have said or done that is given that impression, you know, of, of being a bigot or being unloving or not caring about justice or whatever it is. And I say, 
we want to make sure that we can correct our that we can correct ourselves if we're in error. And I have had people actually call us out on legitimate things. I'm like, ooh, they're right. That was not done right. And I apologize. And this gives them an opportunity for me to apologize yes. to them and to be humble before them. But when they come back and say, like, I had this one uh, on Mama Bear that says your your ministry is all about hate. And I said, oh, my gosh, I am so sorry. I, I don't want to come with that come away with that impression can you tell me what we did or said? Mm -hmm. And they responded, well, I see in your statement of faith that you believe that the scripture is inerrant. Oh, what you're doing is you're uncovering their definition. Believing in an inerrant scripture is now hateful. Okay. Well, I'm not going to apologize for that. Good point. Um, and, And so, but they have to be the ones to say, oh, it's because of this. And then when you see what they labeled, because all those words labeled oppressor, justice, I mean, even racism, golly, if like someone even sneezes in the wrong direction, not we got a racist. It's uh, it's covering up actual information of what actually happened. So when you ask people to say, oh, what was it? They came off as racist. I want to make sure to to root that out of my own heart and, and be able to make amends if I've done something wrong. When they say, well, you are against XYZ policy. Oh, okay. So now you tell me why is that policy racist or, or, or whatever. It just right. gives them a chance to explain. You're uncovering assumptions. And that's actually the next book we're going to be talking about that a lot. How do we uncover assumptions? Mm. Because usually people argue about conclusions and they don't discuss the assumptions. And it's the assumptions that we have differences on. Yes. And, and once you have a, a, a wrong premise, or assumption, you're going to have a wrong conclusion. But the conclusion is not what you should argue about. You're coming from two different starting points. Yes. And, and that's a good, it's a really good perspective for me to even think through because you're right. I mean, we're, we're rarely changing someone's mind by arguing something they already believe in. But like you said, if you can get what they're defining and also come at it from, like you said, a perspective of, I, I do want to know if mm-hmm. I'm doing something wrong. Like, I want to know what's made you think that. Because mm-hmm. if it's something I need to apologize for, by all means, I am humble enough to do that. Yeah, and I've had to, I've had to do it before. Yes. Um, so I think uh, going back to, well, like, how do we ask these questions? There's a book by Greg Kokel called Tactics. And uh, I think we even have a series on playground apologetics that goes through these. It's It's the basic questions of what do you mean by that? And how did you come to that conclusion? Yeah. And there's just this infinite variety of ways to, to ask them that. But it makes someone figure out how did I come to that conclusion and why do I think this? Yes. Um, and this is how you start engaging in conversation and not just two people talking back at each other, completely missing it and leaving the conversation just feeling irritated. Mm, I love that. Well, something else that you really advise parents is to have a clear understanding of quote unquote the isms yeah. in our culture, which <laughs> I feel like we're adding a new ism <laughs> on a regular basis. But yes. um, you know, because it does, it affects us and it affects our children. And so, share kind of like a quick overview what you're referring to when it comes to the isms, and yes. um, you know, why is it important for us to really know about them, to have a clear understanding of them? Yeah. Um, I think that when when um, I was first approached by the publisher saying, hey, we'd like a mama bear book, I thought, you know, I don't want to have just a basic apologetics book that I've seen. I don't 
I, I am a firm believer in not recreating the wheel. Yes. <laughs> if someone else has something that I think is a really good resource, then I'm going to point to that. I don't want to feel like we have to have our own one of those. And so there's so many really great books that talk about the specific questions that kids have and how to answer those specific questions. So what I wanted to do with the Mama Bear Apologetics book is I wanted to say, what are the assumptions behind the questions? Basically, where are these questions coming from in the first place? So an example would be, if you believe the idea, which is naturalism, that the natural world and experimentation or scientism, the experimental method is the only way to gain knowledge, then you're going to have a question like, does science disprove God? Mm. Or if you think that the natural world is all there is and God's outside of nature, he's outside of the natural world, which is the literal definition of supernatural outside of the natural world then can science disprove God? Well, at that point, you're like, well, if science only deals with the natural and he's outside of nature, then you really can't use one to disprove the other. But again, that that little belief that this, the natural world is all there is and the scientific method is the only true reliable way to gain knowledge, that was there before mm. that question even came up. Um, the big one that I see going on, because these are actually kind of in competition with one another and I'm kind of thankful that we still have some of the naturalists and, and scientists bent to things, that would be the modernism period. Um, but postmodernism, which questions the ability to even know anything. So think about if we are telling our children that, um, you know, the truth, this is the truth, this Bible that we have here, this is the truth of God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, what if they have already been bought into the lie that truth is what you make it, that I can have my truth, someone else can have their truth, or... According to postmodernism, we can't know the truth for everyone. We can only have our personal truths. Mm. Trying to even look for like an objective truth is pointless. It, even if it exists, we don't know how to find it. That's a huge mindset that will undermine uh, their ability to, to believe. And that, that right there is a whole bunch of the questions. Or maybe some other examples for uh, emotionalism. To me, emotionalism is one of the big ones that it's like, we're not being told if it feels good, do it. We're being told if it feels good, it's true. Oh my gosh. And so it's like people are no longer even using logical reasoning. They're they're using emotional reasoning of, of XYZ makes me feel angry. Uh, anger is a bad feeling, therefore XYZ is bad. Mm-hmm. And it's all contingent if if you have not properly shaped your emotions to respond to reality, mm-hmm. then there's no telling what direction that's going to take you in. So being able to get our kids to understand the pros and cons of emotions themselves, what they can tell us and what they can't tell us and where they need to be tethered to mm. in order to tell us anything useful. Because emotions can tell us useful things. I mean, this whole woman's intuition thing, that's a real thing. Amen. Uh, and most women will agree. And but it's usually if you dive into it, um, you're gonna find where is it tethered to. And if you're really tethering yourself to scripture, reality, and reason, I think your emotions can actually tell you important things like right. feeling uncomfortable around this person. I don't think I want to be alone with them. That's a legitimate thing that you should listen to that maybe you can't explain all the time versus that makes me angry, therefore that person's bad. Those are different things. That's when you're really pronouncing judgment on things, mm. judgments that you say are true based on an emotion. Um, progressive Christianity has a whole litany of things, and it, it comes from the basic assumption that uh, the Bible was w- written by fallible men who was, were just giving the best explanation that they had at the time. 
If you reinterpret the whole Bible like that, you can justify anything and just say, well, this is the new revelation that now this is us coming to the conclusion that's the best information we mm. have at the time. And that actually can still go along with scripture. And we can still say that we affirm scripture because, you know, there's still some things in there, you know, like love that that, that, that we'll affirm, but we're not going to look at exactly what they said on how to love because that was their interpretation. It's not God breathed. It's man trying to explain things. So these are some of the isms that yeah. um, will undermine the faith. And so it's not like someone's coming to your kid <laughs> and saying, you should worship Satan. You know, yes. that'd be wonderful if that was just all they had to deal with. It's like, mm, no, thanks. Um, it, the, what they're being told, though, is uh, especially right now, is that their Christian beliefs are themselves evil and mm -hmm. immoral. And they already know I'm supposed to be moral. I, I have this moral instinct. I have a moral impulse. And so when someone says morality looks like this and that's anti-biblical, they will follow what is written in their hearts um, more than what's written in their Bible unless they know why they can trust the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is so true with as far as in with parents when I was reading through your book. I mean, a lot of those things I knew, but to dive a little bit deeper and be like, okay, you see this going on all around adults, kids, even in church culture, you know, pay attention to it and begin rooting it out just through very simple conversations around the dinner table. That's yes. one of the best places to start, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say dinner table, but there, there's one that I've always said, if you're going to go see a movie, pick a movie theater that's further away because you will have a captive audience <laughs> for the whole 20 minute ride back. That's right. um, it's so true. That's just my you know opinion of like, hey, if you want to get some good conversations and especially for boys sometimes that have a hard time with eye to eye conversations, you can actually approach tougher topics when you're not looking at each other or maybe just kind of glancing in the rear view because it doesn't feel like this like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. bearing down, we're having this big conversation. You're not even looking at each other and you would be surprised how much more kids are willing to talk when they feel like it's just casual. Yes. Yeah. And that with boys, I mean, in the car, like after school, I can't tell you how many parents um, have said to me, oh, that's when we have our best conversations. He's moved into the front seat now because he's big enough to be in the front seat. And so now they just, they just talk, 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 talk. And I'm like, we're almost there. When they're, when they're young enough, they don't know where things are. You can literally drive around and they could think that it takes 20 minutes to get, you know, for some reason it takes five minutes sometimes and 20 minutes other times. They don't know you're driving around. I didn't know what was going on when my parents drove. So, you know, feel free to milk those opportunities. That's so like true. It. It's so true. Well, as we begin to close out here, I just have, you know, one last question for you. Um, it's pretty obvious as we've talked about that we're living in a post-Christian culture. Yeah. Um, and so share what you term the roar method with our listeners to kind of, you know, help them face these challenges that we are facing really every day, whether you are aware of it or not. Yeah. So the roar method is basically teaching your kids how to. So we talked about the chew and spit. This is one of the ways you can not only chew and spit through material, but you can also, this is how you can interact with people. Just remember, people have forgotten how to interact. They have literally forgotten. They have no clue. It's just, uh, you know, we either talk about how much we agree or you gone, you know, cancel. You know, I wish I had like a little gong that I could sometimes <laughs> play, you know, you gong. Um, so the roar method starts out with recognize the message. So there are so many messages being 
put at our kids that they may not be picking up on. And the one that I saw it just more than any other one, it drove me nuts. I was so excited to see the movie Sing, which was the one about all the cute, the animation with all the cute animals that are singing fun songs in a singing competition. And so like, I'd been waiting for this because I love cute animals and I love movies. So I was like, woohoo. And one of the things that I noticed is the main character, the hero character is constantly lying and everything he does, it's like he's trying to evade responsibility. It's because he can't make his bills and all this stuff. So he is just constantly lying through the whole thing. And so basically the message that you can come away with this is lying is okay as long as it's serving a purpose or it's, it's um, you know, in pursuit of your dreams, which is basically what his were. Uh, and so I recommended that parents watch that with a bowl of popcorn with their kids. And every time they heard him say a lie to take a bite. Of a, of a piece of popcorn. Oh, that's and you'll a good idea. Yeah, so you'll be surprised at how many you're going to start, you know, down in when you're like, oh, wow, that was a lie. When you're taught to see it, then all of a sudden you can't not see it. That would be recognizing the message. What are the main messages that are being basically told? Um, offer discernment is a really important step because it actually involves two steps. It involves separate, I guess kind of three, separating the good from the bad accepting the good, rejecting the bad, or if we wanted to put it in terms of truth and lies, separating the lies from the truth, accepting the truth, rejecting the lies. Uh, and I even have like a little hand motion that goes along with this that, that for kids, uh, you can see me doing it here. Everything is a mixture of truth and lies. We separate the truth from the lies, accept the truth, reject the lie. So when um, you do, where do you have that on video somewhere? Or you've just done that like in Sunday school classes and things like that? I think it was whenever I'm, I'm giving talks yes. live, um, I, I usually do that because it's like this really simple hand gesture that you can teach kids to do. And then eventually parents will see their kids going like this. Okay. And I, <laughs> I go with little hand gestures. Um, so you're right. I should make a video on that. So yeah. I'm going to put that on my to-do list. We were talking about YouTube earlier. There you go. Your <laughs> yeah, first content. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There we go. Um, so that's offer discernment. And so what's happening there is you are, uh, we need to affirm what there is good that someone's that, that someone is usually putting forth. And so for each of the um, ism chapters, I try to find something good we can affirm. Like for postmodernism, we can affirm the fact that people worship gods in all sorts of different ways. Um, and, uh, you know, like I give the example of being in this worship service where it was an all campus worship and they had some music that was like the, the, the kind of hip hop kind of sounding. And they had yeah. some that was like spoken word. And then they had some that was co contemporary Christian worship. And then they had some that were hymns. And I just watched, there was this man sitting next to me that just was sitting like a bump on a log. And I was like, seriously, I was kind of judging him. Like, why are you even here? And then when they started seeing those hymns, he leapt mm. to his feet with his hands held high and was praising God. And I was like, oh, I'm still about to cry here. I felt so honored to be wow. there to worship with him and to be able to see the way that that caused him to worship. Whereas some people say, oh, hymns, they're so dry and, you know, they're too wordy and I don't feel anything with them. But for this man, yeah. that is how he worshiped. And for that, we can say thank you, postmodernism, for helping people understand that there's different perspectives, that they're. You know, even there might be a different perspective from a man than a woman or a black from a white or from someone who grew up in Hispanic culture. They That's can have right. different perspectives and we should really look into these. Now, where it goes wrong is where they say, basically, we can't know objective truth because everybody has these different perspectives. That's where we can say, OK, we're going to separate this truth from lying, accept the truth and reject the lie. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, when you find something to affirm with someone you disagree first, you build those bridges. And this is where I think mm. you can be uh, understood and persuasive is because uh, people go into something called fight or flight. Yep. Uh, it's actually kind of fight, flight, or freeze now. That's where right. they think someone's going against them. And we're seeing basically the, all, all the stuff we see going on right now is people in fight or flight, like mm-hmm. stuff on the news, the riots, everything. Um, coming from this reconciliatory perspective takes people out and it puts you on on equal ground where you can actually discuss things. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we go to argue for a healthier approach. So recognize the message, offer discernment, you know, truth, lie, accept truth, reject lie. Um, argue for a healthier approach says, okay, now I'm going to take the things that we both agree on. So, mm. and say, how does scripture actually address this better? Now I, I came up with this step a while back when I, I did a study on um, reasons youth leave the church. And so this was a study done by Barner where it talks yep. about uh, the church is repressive or the church um, is out of step with science, all this stuff. And so I divide it into what did the church think they were doing? How did it blow up in our faces? And how can we have a better approach to this? Because, I mean, let's let's be honest. That's just kind of how we need to recognize that sometimes our intentions are not what happen. Yeah. So an argue for a healthy approach, we can say, what are everybody's intentions? What did they intend to have happen? Like, you know, for feminism, example, um, for example, they wanted to dignify women. Hey, guess what? We, we want to dignify mm-hmm. women. How does scripture actually affirm that we can do this? And how does, um, and so then we're using scripture to affirm what they're trying to affirm. That's arguing for a healthier approach. Mm. And then finally, the last step is for people who have kids, uh, reinforcing through uh, discussion, discipleship, and prayer. And so we talked about discussion, how you can have these conversations yeah. in the car. Discipleship is really putting into action um, and, and actually doing things that reinforce these ideas. Because we have this idea that, we can have beliefs in our head and they don't have to actually impact what we do. Um, and I, I think that's a bad idea, but then the idea of prayer is, um, and I guess we can close on this. One of the things that I've been fully convinced of, and I'm even more convinced of that, uh, in our culture right now is when you see something that's absolutely irrational, Mm. like just completely irrational, that is a sign for you that we are dealing with a spiritual stronghold. This cannot be talked. It cannot be discussed. It cannot be anything. It needs to be prayed over. Mm. So you address ideological issues with better ideology and discussion. You address spiritual issues through prayer. Mm. If there's a stronghold there that needs to be taken down. So if we don't incorporate that into everything we do, we can talk until we're blue in the face and think we've made a wonderful point and we have not addressed the spiritual obstacle. So mm, that's uh, a good, good reminder. So that, that's our war method. Uh, recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and then reinforce through discussion, discipleship, and prayer. Well, so Hillary, when do you think that the study book will come out? <laughs> it will be out uh, assuming everything goes according to plan, which I hope it will from now on. We were a bit late getting the content out. Um, but, uh, February 1st, I wish it were a little bit earlier for spring studies. So if you want to just have like, you know, start your spring study a little bit late, yeah. start in uh, that is when it's going to be out. And I am really looking forward to, oh, uh, how many women are going to do that. Maybe start mama bear groups and man, we're just gonna, you know, come on ladies, let's go roar like a mother. Let's do it. Cause <laughs> I mean, it's really, really worth it. And so tell everybody, I mean, the podcast is mama bear apologetics Mm -hmm. podcast right so Mm -hmm. that can be found on all the places Mm -hmm. website is the same is it dot com 
Yeah, .com. Okay, see, I, I just have things that I type in and it pops up so I don't yep. pay attention. I didn't really pay attention when I made that. I'm like, should this be an org? I'm not sure. Like, I, I don't I know the difference. Because that's what I'm usually, yeah, I'm like, yeah, so it's .com. And then you all have the Facebook group that you're fairly active in. So if somebody wants to really learn some more, they can pop over. I'm trying to remember, is it a private group? We have um, a page. And so the reason why we have a page is this, if we had it to where everybody was constantly being able to post stuff there, basically there's like a thousand little fires you have to put out. But what we do is we purposely engage on specific topics very regularly. And then we, um, and then people respond to whatever topic it is that we've brought up and within a single thread. So it gets less, it's much less confusing. Lots of great interaction that goes on between our mama bears there. Uh, Lindsay and I and some of the other mama bears are uh, like to make sure to be in there and kind of make comments and and stuff like that. So yeah, Mama Bear Apologetics on on Facebook. We have a Twitter account and an Instagram account if you like pretty pictures. So we're just trying to meet people wherever they like to hang out uh, so that they can we can get the message of uh, representing Christ well to a culture that's forgotten how to think. That's right. Well, thanks so much for being here today. I absolutely loved and needed our conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much. I enjoyed my time here. As we close out another episode, I hope you're relieving with some wisdom, some encouragement, and some tools to use to challenge the cultural lies you and the children in your life face daily. Don't forget to follow Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber on Instagram. When you do, consider sharing today's episode there, along with the truth nugget you gleaned from my conversation with Hillary. Tag me so I can say hello and connect with you. I'll see you back here next week for episode 91 with Mary Flo Ridley, where we'll be talking about the birds and the bees. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.